Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. A week from today, we will be rolling into Egg Bowl week, but there is one more game that has to happen before it can be full-on Egg Bowl week, as Mississippi State will play Abilene Christian this coming Saturday Ole Miss has an open date, and then the final game of the regular season for the Rebels and the Bulldogs. Southern Miss gets a win in San Antonio over the weekend, and they are kind of back in the hunt for a Conference USA Western Division title, possibly a berth in the championship game. We'll get to that this afternoon. All that happened in the SEC, all that happened in Starkville, all that happened in Oxford, and a whole lot more with you. Sports Talk brought to you every day. Every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, let Mississippi Land Bank help. They've been refinancing land, well, financing land, for over 100 years. They've got branch locations spread all across the northern part of the state of Mississippi. They service the northern 32 counties. Branch offices in Clarksdale, Kosciuszko, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, Starkville, Louisville, and their administrative office, their corporate offices, are in Senatobia. Check them out online at Mississippi Land Bank, MSLandBank.com. Borky, what's up? Is it weird, especially considering what we do for a living, that I'm not at all excited about the Egg Bowl? Um, I don't it'll know. probably change like on game day and game week and stuff. Like talking about the game itself will be fine. There's actually a lot of interesting storylines. You, you you know you've got a couple of disappointed fan bases, but this old Miss quarterback thing is interesting. Mississippi State will be at full strength. Like there's stuff to talk about. Bowl game on the line for at least Mississippi State. Maybe with APR, Ole Miss will get there. But it's all the other crap that comes with it. The outside stuff that I'm not looking forward to. Egg Bowl week is is awful to, especially online to exist in that atmosphere. But the game itself should be interesting. I'm not looking forward to the build up to it. That's going to be terrible. Yeah, the build up's going to be weird this year. I think the actual game itself could be a little fascinating. Uh, we'll see how that plays off. And I don't know that it's time to just quite yet jump into the Egg Bowl discussion, although we're awfully close, hey, Dad? 
I'm jumping into Ag Bowl discussion this week on Thunder on the Thunder and Lightning podcast. I'm not even. I'll, I'll talk about Abilene Christian on Friday, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and start looking at the Egg Bowl. I can't I wait for the fan ahead. to tell you that uh, we just I'm need to focus to on Abilene Christian. There it is. I'm I'm so <laughs> looking forward to that. I know it's going to happen, and it's going to be fun times on social media when it does. What is Abilene Christian's record this year? They are five and six. Okay. Any good wins? No. <laughs> Have they played anybody that is even close to the level of an SEC team this year? Uh well, I'm not. I'm. I'm I promise, Richard. I'm not trying to make a joke here, but uh, they played Southeast Louisiana last week. So that's the closest thing. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, let's look into their schedule here. Uh, Their stadium is quite yeah. nice for a school at that level, though. Looks really good. Yeah, they, 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 they. This is their only FBS opponent. I don't think Central Arkansas is an FBS team. So. They are not. No, that was right. They played North Texas and they lost by twenty. Hmm. Yeah, not a lot to talk about on that front this uh, this weekend. So yeah. Mississippi State, Abilene Christian. Am I looking at this right? A uh, a nighttime kickoff? Yeah, homecoming, 6.30 kickoff on the SEC alternate channel. It, it, it couldn't get any more irrelevant. <laughs> you, you made a prediction Check at the your beginning local of the year. Listings. That, yeah, you, you made a prediction at the beginning of the year that I would be broadcasting this game. Is it going to happen? No. Oh, I'm in, that's uh, too bad. Yeah, I don't know. This was the week, though, a year ago. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did the Liberty at Auburn game. Same scenario. SEC Network alternate channel. Uh, there are only like nine people on the planet that uh, that care anything about the alternate channel, and three or four of them are the announcers who actually get to do the games on those channels. Yeah. <laughs> so I was one of them on that day. Um, but, be a slim uh, crowd, I would imagine, as well. How many people watch that game on the alternate channel? If you had to guess an actual number, how many people? The one I did last year? No, this one. Upcoming. Oh, I was going to say, I, I would guess yeah, that yeah, Auburn last, last year, year was so. reasonable because it was an Auburn game. Right. Um, so less. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> less. Uh, That's my prediction. I mean, there's 60, no 000. way to know. Is there 60,000 Mississippi State fans that watch this game on the alternate channel on Saturday night? The I amount of people it. that go to the game in the stadium. There won't be that many people in the game in the stadium. Right, but that number. No, no. his close. question is, will that many people watch the game on the SEC alternate channel on Saturday night? I'd go I under. I think so. It'd be, it'd be close, but I don't know. I'd go under. It's a tough sell. It, oh, it many, definitely is. How many Ohio people State, the Penn State game? in an evening game? Oh, my, my, my prediction yesterday was 22,000. Ohio State, Penn State is stupidly at eleven o'clock in the morning. Ah, it's, it's the big nude game. Okay. Yep, the big noon kickoff. Yeah, I don't know if it's stupid though because the 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 ratings have been really really good for those time slots. Yeah, that actually may have been a good call. I just hate that it's you know this game is this upcoming weekend is not great. And it's probably the marquee game of the weekend. Instead of building up all day to it and putting something on the grill and. I mean, especially in this state, we've got a whole lot of hanging out to do on Saturday. 
it would be a great opportunity to like smoke some ribs or something and then settle in and watch the biggest game of the weekend. Instead, you've got to like wake up early to watch it. Yeah. Uh, Borky, if, if waking up at 1045 to watch an 11 a.m. game is uh, early in your world now, uh, I don't want to hear any more about you being tired. There's no such thing as early or late in my world. It's just existing as is. That's fair. Rippy, what's up, my man? Not a whole lot. Happy Monday? Great Monday. Um, Interesting football game in Oxford on Saturday night. Yeah, to some extent. LSU got up 28 nothing, kind of coasted. Ole Miss did some good things offensively, but other than like the some a couple of the 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 two big plays on back to back drives the second half, the game went about like I thought. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I guess so. But did you anticipate going in that Ole Miss was going to roll up 600 yards of offense against LSU? No, but I mean they had seven points and one ninety in the first half after LSU got up twenty eight nothing. You can't tell me LSU was exactly on cloud nine coming out for the third quarter. No, I didn't say that. But they did move the ball, running the ball I mean, better than it's I a thought. sixty minute game. Yeah, I mean sure. The outcome was decided in the first fifteen twenty, but like yeah, I mean they they did they moved the ball better on the ground against LSU than I thought because I mean that is a top ten run defense. Um, in the second half than I figured they would at any point in the game. We'll uh, we'll spend some time on Ole Miss and LSU this afternoon. We'll spend some time on Mississippi State's game against Alabama, obviously Southern Miss against uh, Texas San Antonio, UTSA getting the win at the Alamo Dome. Winners and losers coming up. Uh, a couple of undefeateds knocked from the ranks of the undefeated this weekend. We'll bounce around the SEC. Borky's convinced that uh, Gus Malzahn is getting fired. I am not, but the rumors are floating around again already. Doesn't take long. It's like after every single win or loss at Auburn, the uh, the temperature on the Gus seat changes one way or the other. Which is wild uh, because uh, with a true freshman quarterback, I mean, look at their losses. They played LSU tough in Baton Rouge. They lost by a touchdown with a chance to win the game against Georgia. With Again, with a true freshman they have a legit shot at beating Alabama in two weeks. If like, do they? I think so. Yeah. I mean, look at and like Rippy mentioned with the LSU thing. I can't imagine Alabama was very fired up to come out in the second half. However, they did score only three points with Mac Jones in two quarters and a couple of drives against Mississippi State. Yeah. Um. Hey, sure. I'm just. I don't know. I, Auburn's defense I know is just so good. That's there, that's there the, was the Auburn thing. Yeah, I mean, there was the Auburn thing at the beginning of the year where it was like, okay, we don't know, and then everybody kind of falls in line with Rippy, and it's like, okay, Auburn's really good, and then they kind of come back to the mean, and they're what we thought they were, and they're just an okay football team. They're Mississippi and, State last year. Great offense can't do anything. A great defense can't do anything offensively. Yeah. Maybe something to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite ready to sign up for the, oh, they've got a great shot against Alabama, regardless of who is playing quarterback for the Crimson Tide just yet. Let's look at the matchup with Mississippi State and Alabama from this past Saturday when we come back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi, ceasefire text lines open 601-879-4395. <laughs> back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. 
Monday afternoon, rolling into a new week. But looking back on a Monday, we will start by looking back to the first game of the day. That happened in Starkville, Mississippi State, and Alabama. Didn't take Alabama long to get rolling in this one. At the end of one quarter, it was 21-7. to At the half, it was 35-7. to Crimson Tide would kick a field goal in the third quarter to make it 38-7. to And then no points scored in the fourth quarter of the ballgame. Um, obviously, the biggest story of the game was the injury to Tua Tonga-Vailoa late in the first half. We'll get to that coming up in uh, in a bit. But, hey, Dad, kind of start out high-level thought and then drill down as much as you want to from there. Uh, it went exactly the way I imagined that it would. I thought they might be a little bit better offensively, but in, at the end I'm not really surprised when a Joe Moorhead offense struggles against any anybody. Um, you know, they just they couldn't do anything. Uh, Alabama clearly made their 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 focus on Kylan Hill, who I thought ran hard. You know, I, I didn't feel like there was a lack of effort or anything, but he just couldn't get the edge against Alabama's defense and, and couldn't get anything up the middle. Uh, Tommy Stevens was the leading rusher on the day, and I think it was just more a case of they were just so focused on Hill that when Stevens decided to pull the ball, uh, he had some 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 running lanes. Um, uh, State's receivers simply could not get open against an Alabama secondary that had not been that great. Uh, yeah, obviously, LSU was able to you know, take them apart. I mean, I'm not comparing State's receivers to LSU's, but you think you can get open every now and then. The, the two longest pass plays of the day were a 30-yard completion to Farad Green and then a uh, 19-yard completion to Kylan Hill. Beyond that, there wasn't anything longer than 10 yards to a receiver. Who The, the receivers combined for, uh, for uh, four catches. So... Offensively, just another you know, just another day at the office really for, for Joe Moorhead. Defensively, I mean, I I don't think State was much worse defensively in the first half than anybody else has been against Alabama. Their their receivers were open. They're they're always open. That's just how good they are. Um, the second half, it, it's disappointing for Mississippi State to you know in complete garbage time with Alabama and their backups in and and really just trying to get through the game after Tua's injury to not be able to put up any kind of points whatsoever. That that that's disappointing. That's Part of the frustration of MSU fans right now is they see Ole Miss comp- competitive may not be the right word, but they're putting up points on Alabama on LSU. They're in the game against Auburn, and State's not, and they're just not right now, and and that's a that's a big frustration for Mississippi State fans right this second. I want to go to a more big picture question in a second, but a couple of more uh, on this game in particular. Uh, about two minutes to go in the first half. When the uh, the Tonga injury occurs, when he goes out of the game, he's fourteen of eighteen for two hundred fifty six yards, two touchdowns, and appears to be in complete and total control of whatever he wants to do. Right? Mm-hmm. What was the reaction in the stadium? What 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 did it feel like? What did it sound like? I mean, obviously, it's a road game. Probably feels different if it's in Brian Denny. Than right. it's in Starkville, but did it have that even with Alabama leading big, that air goes out of the stadium feeling to it? Absolutely. Anytime the cart comes out for a player, it's going to be. I don't know that I've been to too many games where the cart comes out twice. That happened in the second half with C.J. Morgan. Yeah. Um, and just yeah, I mean, it's a play where you know he throws the ball away, so naturally your eyes just follow the ball, and then you come back and you see he's down, and then his helmet's off. He just looks a mess, and then 
you see that you know people are saying, okay, his face has been bloodied. Maybe you're, you're just thinking, okay, maybe he just got his bell rung a little bit, and you know he got he's got to have a bloody nose, and and then it's it's really obvious once they come out to get him, he's not putting any weight on his leg, and it it, just, it looks bad, and yeah, you know the the. Any kind of injury like that, the the, the crowd's going to be quiet and, and you know just sort of trying to get through it, and the cart comes out and takes him off, and he gets the nice ovation. Uh, and I think at that point you just sort of knew that both of these teams at this point were just trying to get to the end of the game. And, and I thought the play in the second half really showed that. And, and from an injury standpoint, it didn't work out that way. It wasn't, okay, you can just get to the end of the game. You had multiple pretty significant injuries still to go, right? Right. You had uh, Raquan Davis got hurt. Uh, DJ Dale was hurt for Alabama for Mississippi State. Kylan Hill was hurt. Uh, CJ Morgan, like we said, he's out for the season. Uh, Dedrick Thomas came out of the game. So just an ugly football game, start to finish. Not a whole lot of positives can be taken really from either team other than for Alabama that they got the win. CJ Morgan, what what's the severity? I mean, I know we don't do the whole injury thing around here. I, I get that, right. but Kylan Hill, any any indication one way or the other? Yeah, well, CJ Morgan's out for the year. Uh, just mm-hmm. just he'll be able to join Mari Smitherman, Fletcher Adams uh, on that list. Uh, for Hill, they said he was able to practice a little bit on Sunday, and they expect him back to be be back in, in action for uh, for Tuesday. Uh, you know, with this game coming up against Abilene Christian, I don't really know how they handle Kylan Hill because I feel like they need to give him some carries. You know, he is. They, they, I would think they would like to maybe see him be the leading rusher in the SEC, but at the same time, you have to have him against Ole Miss. One hundred, you, you, there will be no beating Ole Miss without Kylan Hill. So, his, his situation is definitely one to monitor this week. Tommy Stevens goes twelve of twenty-one for eighty-two yards with an interception. Was that on his first pass attempt of the game? Yes. <laughs> The game had a very much like an Auburn feel to it. That State decides to do a pooch kick that doesn't really work, and Alabama takes over at the forty. They score in four plays, and then State's first play from scrimmage, they uh, throw an interception. Alabama scores on the next play, and it's fourteen nothing. And we're not what five minutes into the game. The people that were coming to the game weren't all there at that point, right? They, they, I believe so. I think everybody was in the stadium that was going. Those that weren't probably just said, "You know what? Let's go back to the tailgate." How was the crowd? Just all right. Play? It's all right. I mean, yeah, you know, it's just all right. Yeah, they, they, the Alabama landed the knockout blow so early in the game that there was never really a chance for for state fans to get into it. Um, I, I was going to save this and ask it in the next segment and try and kind of turn, but. I, I don't know that there's a lot more to unpack in this game. I mean, Mississippi State yeah. defensively, okay. Uh, nothing nothing special in the game. Obviously, injuries play a big part. The, the thing that I know has been asked before, it's, how, how has this happened? Um, well, I think, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, the, the suspensions do play a big role because Autry, Gay, and Murphy are three of your best players. You know, and outside of the truly, truly elite teams, nobody can lose three of their best players on one side of the ball and expect to be. On the heels of losing three first rounders to the right. NFL. And I mean, and a ton of depth on top of that. I mean, yeah, Simmons and Sweat and Abram, yes, but Cor- Corey Thomas and Gary Green and Braxton Hoyette and Marvin McLaurin, you know, and Jamal Peters, these are all guys who played a ton last year. And you lost them all. Um, offensively, I don't have a good answer, you know. And if I did, I would probably try to tell, try to sell it to Joe Moorhead, uh, so he could start doing it. But 
I mean, they, they've, they, Tommy Stevens is his quarterback. Uh, Garrett Schrader is his quarterback. So I, I'm, you know, the, the idea that last year Nick Fitzgerald was to blame, I've sort of put that to rest. Um, the offensive line has been okay. It hasn't been great, but it's been okay. State's receivers are just bad. They're just not good. You know, I mean, Mitchell is your leading receiver. He's sitting at 300 and, uh, I think 70 yards. Uh, Gidry, I mean, every time he, he, he's just a bust. There's just no other way to put it. The guy was the number one Juco receiver in the country his, uh, his last year at Hines, and he, he hasn't done anything worthy of that kind of hype. You just don't have any good receivers. You just don't. And, and for an offense that's sort of predicated around getting big plays in the passing game, State doesn't have the, the ability to do that. But they still continue to run the offense that is predicated around getting big plays in the passing game. <laughs> well, and, and while my question was, you know, how did it get to this point, was I, I guess maybe specifically you know, record and kind of where the team is right now, I think the bigger question is how does a fan base – get as deflated as the Mississippi State fan base appears to be as quickly as it has happened. Is that is is that a you understand what I'm asking there? No, I, I get I get your question. But yeah. because if we're trying to do this side by side with Ole Miss, at, at least with Ole Miss it's been a little more gradual and you 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 knew the NCAA backdrop thing was looming there, and eventually, it was going to kind of hit bottom. Right. There wasn't really anything like that in the backdrop. It was rolling yeah. along, rolling along, rolling along. Dan Mullen feel great about the hire of Joe Moorhead, veteran quarterback coming back in Nick Fitzgerald. Yes, he had his limitations. We certainly know that. And then it's just like. People got really frustrated a year ago, and it's it's like there's a level of apathy. This is outside looking in. I, this is my thought. Not I'm not speaking for you. Mm-hmm. That has set in as quickly as I've ever seen it set in. I guess I'll answer that in the next segment, though. Okay, we'll get to that. And and I'm curious: is it anger or is it apathy? If you're a Mississippi State fan right now, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online, supertalk.fm. Got more coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395 is the number. 601-879-4395. The Ceasefire tech movement is moving our region forward through teaching and technology that strengthens our economy, positions it for success in today's digital age, and improves the quality of life in our communities. Join the movement today at cspire.com slash tech, M-V-M-T, cspire, customer inspired. Uh, your thoughts on the weekend, on games, we've got winners and losers coming up. You can start sending those to us as well. Hey, Dan, I guess the question on the board kind of as we were going to break just a moment ago was apathy, anger, frustration, What's the overwhelming emotion right now? And have you ever seen whatever that emotion is take hold as quickly as it appears to have taken hold? No, it's definitely, you know, it's we're not even two full seasons in. Uh, I would say it's a good bit of anger, but there's definitely a lot of apathy too, and I think you'll see that this weekend with the attendance. Um, and, and sort of what Borky was hitting on in the first, the very first segment about the Egg Bowl is, you know, there, there, there's not a lot of excitement. 
uh, for that game up here in Starkville, to be totally honest. And I think you know there's some nervousness on top of that. But people are angry because Joe Moorhead arrived here in, in August, you know, and I guess in November of 2017, and spent an entire offseason convincing people that the offense was going to be, you know, great. And you know, we knew you knew you had the defense and that that was going to be a special season, and it wasn't. And then he walked that back uh, in the media days, uh, saying that you know maybe he shouldn't have been so uh, effusive in what he was in his praise of everything, trying to keep it a little bit more, you know, between him and the team, and not so much putting the fans out there. And it's just the same thing. And it's something I talked about on the podcast. It just there's there's an element of Groundhog Day to it. It's you know, Morehead says this, and then. They're going to work on that, and then the game happens, and nothing was appears to have been worked on. And it's it's the same game every week. The offense can't seem to do anything. There's always a special teams problem. Defensively, they're good for a couple of series, but without you know those three guys, they they just they just can't keep up. And you know, people are just sort of tired of it. You know, and and they just they don't feel they they had they felt that in November of seventeen you had a program that was about to take off and maybe take another step. And become more of a consistent eight nine win team instead of a consistent seven eight win team, and now you have a program that is going to is struggling to get to bowl eligibility this season. Um, in a time where Mississippi State fans, by and large, feel like they should be out ahead of Ole Miss because of the NCAA stuff, and and you're not. You know, you're at, at best you're even with them right now. And yeah, they're, they're, apathy is the right word. And like I said, this weekend is going. To, <laughs> If you're going to schedule one of these these week twelve games where you're playing a, a nobody, you better be a good football team. You better be Alabama, LSU, that you can get away with that, and it's still going to have, you know, it's not going to affect your attendance. Because my gosh, I, this might be the smallest crowd states had since pre yeah, expansion. But- and when I say pre expansion, I mean pre two thousand two expansion. So when the stadium went from forty thousand to fifty thousand, basically, yeah, basically. But in fairness. Alabama may have the smallest crowd of the Nick Saban era on Saturday Saturday against Western Carolina. They they very well could, but they'll still have, you know, 80,000, 90,000 probably. Mm, they might I doubt you, it. You know, well, I mean even I guess they you might be right, but there's going you know, the, the stadiums are going to look different. Yeah, they're, they'll look different. I I think that's actually a and I'm not necessarily jumping off to this right now. But if you were wondering and, and we've kind of talked around this. Fan bases are not traveling anymore. Now, you've got that core group that's always going to travel to road games. And probably depends on how big your brand is as a football program as to how big that core group is. Mm-hmm. But I have, for years, watched when LSU comes to Oxford. Mm-hmm. Huge LSU crowd. Mm -hmm. And we talked last week about we thought that would be the case this past weekend, right? Right. LSU coming off the win against Alabama, number one team in the country, ton of excitement. Granted, there was a lot of purple and gold in and around Oxford and at the game. If there were, seventy five hundred LSU fans, at that game on Saturday night, mm-hmm. I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> I, I just and, and it surprised me because it's not like tickets weren't available or weren't available yeah. at a relatively inexpensive price. But but in 
even in the sections that were like allocated to LSU, there was a block of fifteen hundred tickets. Like the if you if you look at the north end of the stadium on the east side, that first section from like the goal line to the five yard line or whatever it is that runs all the way up. That's the visitor section, and then you've got right. another section on the opposite end, on the same side of the stadium, kind of down in the southeast, kind of that same section, and then some scattered seats along the lower level for visitors between the goal lines. Mm-hmm. LSU section down in the southeast corner was full. It was about half full in the northeast corner, and then it was scattered beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I would say five, 6,000 LSU fans, and, and that's not a knock on LSU. When Ole Miss went to Tuscaloosa this year, there might have been 500 or 1,000 Ole Miss fans there. Yeah. Now, Alabama fans, there were a lot of Alabama fans Saturday in Starkville. The, okay. the east side that I can see, you know, I've, I've been doing this long enough and going enough to these games, I, my, my trained eye can tell you the difference between maroon and crimson at 100 okay. yards. Uh, I thought there were a lot of Alabama fans, and when they took the field, there was a, a notice, noticeable cheer for them. Well, it's only and, a 50-minute drive, according to the guys on the broadcast, all afternoon. Did they say that? All day. Oh, my god! They gosh. referenced that it was it's a, a 50. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like just touch. Google it at a commercial break. Yeah. How do you get that wrong? Anyway. Well, but, yeah, they're, they're a good number. And, you know, you, with LSU, you would expect there to be a bigger crowd because a lot of LSU fans live in Mississippi, and they don't have LSU season tickets, but they can make that trip to Oxford once every two years. So I'm surprised to hear you say that there weren't a lot of LSU fans there. Just, just um, weren't. I mean, the, the yeah. biggest crowd outside of LSU as far as visiting fans go this year? And that's mm-hmm. that's a game against Arkansas Cal. and Vanderbilt. It was Cal. Yeah, because that's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of trip. They're never going to make that trip again. Yeah. Uh, state fans, you know, in the games that I've traveled to this year, Auburn, yeah, there were a lot, obviously, at, at the New Orleans game because, you know, it's New Orleans and you can make a weekend out of that. And It was Labor Day weekend. But Auburn, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and uh, what am I missing? State had another road game in there, didn't they? Uh, I don't know. Off the top of my head. Arkansas. Uh not a lot. Not a lot. Maybe a thousand. I thought Tennessee was the best crowd of, of visiting fans I've seen this year in yeah. terms of state fans. Just because and, and that's again, the one that's where you only go every decade now. You don't go very often, yeah. And I think I think a lot of fans made that trip thinking, you know, Tennessee is terrible and state's probably going to win. And not winning that really was a punch in the gut. I was having that conversation on the sideline with um with someone from the Southeastern Conference on uh on Saturday night. I said, you want evidence of Visiting fans, not traveling. Here it is. This is your, this is your evidence. The game has changed, and that's not a knock one way or the other. That's not propping a fan base up or knocking down another fan base. It's just the reality of where we are in college football. Even the the best traveling fan bases don't travel the way they did. Texas A and M did not travel well to Oxford this year at all. And you know, the first time they made the trip a few seasons ago, there were probably seven, eight, nine, maybe ten thousand of them. Brought the whole stinking band. Um, so it's a different deal. So I got off track a little bit. Here's what I was going to ask you. So, so Mississippi State sitting at four and six. They beat Abilene Christian to get to five and six, and then they're playing for bowl eligibility against Ole Miss in the the final game of the regular season. Why do I think? Why should I think that Mississippi State 2020 is going to look any different than Mississippi State 2019 when I look at the schedule? Because the schedule is built basically the same way. Yeah, New Mexico, which is a win to open the season, yeah. at NC State, maybe, maybe not. It's a coin flip. Should win against Arkansas because they're a disaster. Yeah, should beat Tulane. Should then you go? Willie then you Fritz, go into a stretch man, of. Know. Say what? 
Willie Fritz, man, I don't know. Oh, come on. Maybe they don't, but should beat Tulane. They should, should, yes, but, you know. Then you go into a stretch of Texas A&M, Alabama, LSU, Auburn. You hope you can get one in that group, maybe. And then it's Missouri and Kentucky and then Alabama A&M. Okay, Mm -hmm. there's your win. Yeah. And then the Egg Bowl on the road. Yeah. I mean, that that's a schedule that is built where if the team plays well and is, you know, slightly better than okay to good, they win seven. Mm-hmm. If they're pretty good, they win eight. If they're really good, they win nine. Yeah. But if they're just kind of average, they're probably playing for a bowl game against Ole Miss at probably, the end. Probably the same situation, yeah, to be totally honest. And you're yeah, right I mean, back where you are this year. No, you're not wrong. You know, you have to hope that you know Schrader with another year can really take a big step forward. Uh, that your you know, the JUCO receivers you're bringing in can bring you some explosive plays that you don't currently have, and that the JUCO D lineman will provide some depth that you don't have at that position. But you're right. You know, especially if Kylan Hill decides to leave early, you got you got some question marks for sure. By the way, if you want to do that with Ole Miss's schedule, you can, and it's a tough start to the year. Yeah, this is the same. Yeah. Maybe a little more manageable in the back end. Will that be too little too late? Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online, supertalk.fm, and the Renaissance Bank studio. More coming up after this. One place where there was reason to celebrate this weekend, Hattiesburg. Southern Miss goes to San Antonio and gets a 36-17 win over UTSA. Game was tied at 7 after the first quarter. At the half, Southern Miss led it 16-10. to They outscored UTSA 13-7 to in the third quarter and 20-7 to in the second half of the game for a 36-17 win. Jack Abraham throws for 290 yards, two touchdowns, and, and an interception. 203 yards rushing on the ground as a team and held UTSA to just 97 yards rushing. Quez Watkins had a big game. Seven catches for 137 yards and a, uh, a touchdown. He kind of led the way from a uh, receiver standpoint. And Southern Miss is now, they got a chance, Borky, at the Western Division in Conference USA because Louisiana Tech lost on Friday night to Marshall. And Jamar Smith, their senior quarterback, is out once again this week. And so Southern Miss kind of looked at it. They got Western Kentucky coming up this weekend, and then close it out with uh, FAU on the road. Got to win those two, but they got a shot. They do. And uh, Louisiana Tech goes to UAB this weekend, so losable losable football game because the Bulldogs have the tiebreaker right now. So they need to win their last two. Obviously, need a little bit of help, and maybe this weekend is the one they get it. So, let's see, Conference USA football standings right now, because of the tiebreaker, you still have Louisiana Tech on top of the uh, on top of the West at 5 and 1, tied with Southern Miss, UAB 4 and 2. Then it's UTSA, North Texas all at 3 and 3. On the opposite side, FAU and Marshall are both 5 and 1. Western Kentucky 4 and 2. And that's Southern Miss's opponent this uh, this weekend. Conference championship aside, 
So they miss going back to a bowl game this year. Yeah, they won't and get snubbed this time. No, not when you got seven. And, and especially looking like it's going to be more like eight or nine or potentially even ten if they were to get to the conference championship game. Jay Hops is doing a good job. Just, just period. You know, the the games were kind of as you would have thought they would be early in the year. Beat Alcorn, lose to Mississippi State. A little bit of a toss-up game against Troy, got the win there, lost to Alabama. And then since then, they've been pretty steady. The, the one disappointing loss was the game at Louisiana Tech, lost it by 15, and played poorly in that game. Too many turnovers. You turn it over and makes it hard to get it done. Since then, though, 20 to 6 against Rice, 37 to 2 against UAB, and 36 to 17 against UTSA. So two games remaining, Western Kentucky this Saturday, and then FAU uh, on the final Saturday of the regular season, final day of the month of November, November 30th. Lane Kiffin, sneaky, has a really good year going. So they lost their first two games to Ohio State in Columbus, then UCF, and their only loss since then is five points to Marshall, who's on top of the division. 45-21 to Ohio State in week one. Most points that have been scored on the Buckeyes this year. 48-14 to UCF in Week 2. And all wins except for that Marshall game, 36-31. That was a home game that they lost. Is this the year he gets the jump? Somebody pulls the trigger on Lane Kiffin to get a big-time job again? Arkansas could do a heck of a lot worse than Lane Kiffin. They just did. (laughs) Yeah. That's the one that kind of makes the most sense, isn't it? Would he win there? Yes. For a little while. I mean, that kind of feels like the Lane Kiffin thing at a big program is going to run its course. You know, over the course of five, six years, something like that, which would be longer than he's you know stayed most places. I just wonder if maybe he's at a spot where he's happy. Making about a million bucks a year, living at the beach, no pressure. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that's been there, done that. He's coached in the NFL. He's coached Tennessee. He's coached Southern Cal. He's worked for Nick Saban. I mean, I don't know if his ego needs that or not. You also always go back to a, a job level. like that. So maybe it's a financial thing, go get a big payday, and then know that you can go back wherever? Well, I think his finances are probably okay. I mean, I don't really know much about Lane Giffen's financial situation, but I assume he's okay. But no, just for the desire to win at a big program again. I don't know if he has it. He pulled up to an alumni event on a really nice fishing boat, so... Living the life right now. Kind of hard to pull up to an alumni event on a fishing boat in Fayetteville. You can do that when you're in Boca. Sports Talk Mississippi. First hour in the books. More coming up with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Winners and losers are next.
Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Good to have you along on this Monday. Uh, We are into the 4 o'clock hour, and that means it is time for Winners and Losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, what did you like from the weekend? What did you not like from the weekend? What stands out to you? We'll get to your winners and losers coming up in uh, just a little while. Uh, Borky, you know what the biggest winner of the weekend was? Let's hear it. Yours truly. For the first time all season long, one of us went undefeated in the Pearl River Resort picks. A smooth six and zero in the picks last on Friday. I got a little oh hey hey, good stuff. No round of applause. No congratulations. No attaboy. You still owe me dinner because you, you got yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, I had completely forgotten about that. Hey, Dad, I was got through. I was looking at picks and so had I. Thank God Saturday for that night. guy on Twitter. <laughs> Some guy goes, hey, hey, Dad, I noticed on the uh, over-under on passing yards between Kentucky and Vanderbilt, you won. That's right. 217 combined passing yards. I'm surprised it was that high. You probably could have gotten me to say 200 if we had gone back and and done it, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, I didn't. So where am I taking you to eat? I don't know. We'll figure that out later. Fair enough. we got to be in the same city, you know, for for a day. Yes, yes. uh, we'll, we'll, We'll figure that out. In the uh, the days to come, um, John Rice Plumley. I mean, what what a night for the uh, the freshman quarterback. Second consecutive week where he's named the SEC Freshman of the Week. Put up a uh, a really big night. Goes for over 200 yards rushing. Most yards rushing against LSU for an Ole Miss player in school history. And the Rebels as a team went for over 400 yards. That was against an LSU defense that was giving up 100.7 yards per game. So I had that conversation that Rippy brought up with somebody last night. They were like, so did LSU just kind of mail it in in the second half? And I said, well, maybe, at least partly, but you can't explain away 400 yards as mailing it in, I I don't think. Not when you're giving up 100 yards per game, and it's not like it's the first time all season you've played a team that you were better than. I mean, you're the number one team in the country. So uh, I thought the Ole Miss ground game really good uh, against LSU on uh, on Saturday night, and uh, John Rice Plumley specifically in the winners list. Rippy, you got a winner? Oklahoma. I didn't get to watch any of that game, but I was following it on the scores app. I don't really know how that happened. Down thirty-one to seven, twenty-eight three, twenty-eight to three. They come back and they win. Thirty-one twenty-eight final. 34-31. I was just wrong on all the numbers. Um, And really had a chance to win it on the last two plays of the game. Dropped an interception, 
and then came back and had an interception. And that was after, in just a couple of plays, Baylor had moved it into Oklahoma territory. And you thought, well, as bad as it's been, maybe Baylor's going to go down and they're going to stick it in the end zone. They did not. Tough loss. So Oklahoma on the winner's list. Borky? Trevor Lawrence and Clemson. I mean, even though the schedule has been a joke and we've kind of made fun of it, early in the year he was interception prone. I mean, he's got eight on the season, all of which came before October 19th, and he's thrown 16 consecutive touchdowns without an interception. The schedule's not good, but Clemson is just dominating teams and rolling right now, and whatever slump that Lawrence was in early in the season, it looks like he's out of it. Are they the most under-the-radar, really, really good team we've seen in a long time? Yeah, it's just because they they haven't played in a high-profile game. I mean, they're, they just flat-out dominated Wake Forest this weekend, who's a, a little bit injury-depleted. But, I mean, their most difficult game was probably at Louisville. And, I mean, they won that game by five touchdowns, and it was at 11 a.m. Uh, so you just haven't had a chance to see them on any kind of big stage because they're not playing anybody that's worth being on a big stage for. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. I'm going to go to the high school ranks. I thought one of the big upsets of the weekend was Olive Branch beating Madison Central. Madison Central, I hope JT's not listening. I don't want him to get angry. Uh, but Madison Central was, you know, number one team in the state for a good chunk of the year. Uh, went up 7 nothing on Olive Branch and then proceeded to give up 24 unanswers to the Conquistadors. Uh, moving on in the uh, the 6A state playoffs. That was a big upset. What else stands out to you guys from the uh, weekend in the winners category? I got a bunch of losers. <laughs> Borky, what about the Saints? They bounced back. They did, yeah. yeah they um, And still left some on the field as well. But, uh, yeah, they looked much better. And it, that was a win they needed Thanks. to have. I got one. Okay. Dak Prescott. Whew. He's going to get that money. That's going to happen. You know who doesn't need to get any more money from the Cowboys franchise, though? Ezekiel Elliott. Well, that, too. I mean, you don't pay a running back that much. Never should have. But Jason Garrett. Oh, you're right. They have a top 10 defense. They have really two good wide receivers now. One elite wide receiver. Dak's playing really well. They're really good up front. They overpaid a running back, but he's a good one. And yet they still have four inexplicable losses. Uh, there's a disconnect there, and um, maybe they should think about canning him and bringing in Lincoln Riley. Because, I mean, it can't get much worse. I got one more winner. Robert Woodard. I don't know if you saw his line from yesterday's mm-hmm. game. 21 points, 16 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals, and 2 blocks. SEC will announce Players of the Week tomorrow. I'll be really surprised if Woodard's not the SEC Player of the Week. He had 13 points and 7 rebounds. Uh, in State's other game, State's 4-0 and uh, headed out to Myrtle Beach for a big tournament. By the way, Dak Prescott, 29-46, 444 yards and three touchdowns as he outdueled Jeff Driscoll and Detroit, 35-27. That game really shouldn't have been that close, should it? No, and that therein lies the issue at the top. Anybody else from the NFL stand out and deserve to be on the winner's list from yesterday? Man, I thought I had one. I thought I, I completely nailed one with the uh, Kyler Murray in San Francisco. Weren't you? It played well there. I, I mean, I really like his upside. Um, I'm telling Lamar Jackson as well continues to just be special. He's really good. Look at the uh, the final yesterday. The Ravens beat 
skull drag the Texans. 41 to 7, four touchdowns uh, that Lamar Jack- Jackson is responsible for in the ballgame. So those are your winners. What about losers? Matt Nagy. Okay. Oof. He benched Mitch Trubisky on the last drive of the game as basically just to kind of point the finger at him when it really wasn't Trubisky's fault. It was one of his better games of the year. The play calling was horrendous, but in he benched him for the last drive basically to kind of be like, hey, this guy sucks, not me. Trubisky threw for 190 with a touchdown and a pick in the game last night. As the Rams won it 17-7 to over the Bears, not a fun one to watch. That being your Sunday night game, maybe a little bit of a loser there. What else? Minnesota and Baylor. I mean, I get to stand for them for one week. And a 28-3 to lead that you blow, and then P.J. Fleck on what would have been a really significant touchdown. They're driving. They get a first down from a late hit from Iowa. And P.J. Fleck, for some reason, runs all the way out to the middle of the field to grab one of his players to like get him out of what wasn't even really a scrum, just a late hit and a couple of guys were jawing at each other. He runs to the middle of the field and gets a penalty himself, negating the play. They get sacked, I think, don't score on that possession and lose the football game. Like You had everything in front of you to be the spoiler in college football, and you can't last a week because you blow a 28 to 3 lead and your coach decides he wants to run to the middle of the field after he got a free first down in the red zone from a, a late hit and negates the penalty and they don't get any points and they lose the football. Would have been first game. and goal, right? Would have been first and goal. Hey. And I Captain like PJ Fleck, but what are you doing? Mm. Not exactly Captain Composure there. Rippy, you got a loser? Another no, one? Another one? Hey, Dad, you got a loser? Will Muschamp. Down 30-3, to three, three minutes to go at the uh, Texas A&M 21, fourth and 19. Kicks a field goal to make it 30-6. to six. Come on, man. It's not like that was even to cover. <laughs> he just put three more on the board. <laughs> we won that series, guys. Sports Talk Mississippi. Your winners and losers on the C Spire text line when we come back after this. The freighter's towering over me. I can hear the jets. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Continuing winners and losers with you on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. Um... Let's see here. Linda from Fulton. The sportscaster, this is a loser, by the way. I think this is directed at uh, Gary Danielson. The sportscaster who made fun of the girl who was knocked out by the hit on the sideline in the Georgia-Auburn game. What did he do? What did he say, hey, Dad? Uh, And I was only where. I remember where I was. I was at a friend's house. And, uh, no, I'm sorry. We were in the media room when that happened. Basically, he was just so flippant about it. And just, he was, he was chuckling about it. He thought it was funny. And you, you could sense the, uh, the unease in Brad Nestler's voice as it was going on. He just, and he just, you know, when something like that happens, normally it's just, you know, you're sort of quiet and you're, oh, she's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But he, but he was sort of playing it up and hamming it up. It was, it was really uncomfortable. Look, 
I, we certainly have had plenty of time to laugh at me for my little incident on the sideline in Gainesville for a few years from a few years ago. What did you do? I have no idea what this is. We're about to reopen a wound here, but what happened? Yeah, I don't know what this is. Uh, okay, so when Ole Miss was playing at Florida, Borky and Win, 2015? Yeah, 15 sir. or 16? That right, yeah. 2015. 15. 15. Um, Jordan Wilkins is on the field. It plays happening. And he's about to go out of bounds. I'm on the sidelines. This is Ole Miss on the plus side of the field, down around the, oh, I don't know, 25, 30-yard line, something like that. And a Florida guy shoves him. So the, the angle that he's taking, the play is going to go past me. And I take kind of a step back. I, I, I pay attention when I'm down there. Some people don't get run over, whatever it happens. But sometimes it's hard to realize the speed of the game if, if you're not at that level. Well, he gets shoved by a Florida player out of bounds, kind of changes directions, and absolutely plowed me on the sideline. Hey, Dad, the, the, the sidelines at the Swamp are tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's... It's not like Oklahoma State tight, but there's not much extra room there. And the funny part, I mean, obviously I was fine. I go heels overhead. Like I go to my rear end and both of my feet go up and my legs are spread out in the air. I got red tennis shoes on and, you know, we end up with a gif out of it. And, you know, Jordan Wilkins kind of gives me a half. Oh, I'll help you up. I'm like, whatever, I'm fine. Go ahead. And I kind of climb back up and we all laugh about it. I had a little, you know, cut on my hand or whatever. Here's the deal, though. Florida on the sidelines has got these big, like, ad advertising billboards. It's like a metal box that is mounted to the uh, to the deal, like to the the concrete wall. My head missed hitting the corner of that box by about six inches. Ooh. So it's real easy for us all to laugh about it, and I did, and we did, and we had a big time. I think we called it crossing. You know, that was like uh, in the the high time of Tebowing, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's crossing on the sideline." We even had some people that like got out of their cars and filmed themselves doing this on the side of the road. It was uh, it was a load of laughs for everybody, and I laugh about it as well. But I think it was about a foot or six inches for me. Pretty serious. Yeah. You gash your head on one of those metal signs on the you know. Ugh. Anyway, so if you watch this. This what happened on Saturday. That girl basically got kneed in the face. Yeah, I mean she was out cold. Could yeah. have been a lot worse. Really than fortunate. It was. Yeah. Uh, Darren says that that's when I got my wrestling nickname of the Red Shoe Bandit. <laughs> Is this on YouTube? That's my real question. Got to find it. I've got it somewhere. I think I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. Um. Will from Philadelphia, winner, Neshoba Central Rockets football. They came back from 21 nothing down to defeat Grenada in the first round of the 5A playoffs. Winner, Paul George. What did he do this weekend, Borky? Oh, he's just been spectacular uh, okay. since he's come back. Um, now that he's healthy... The Clippers are going to be unreal. But speaking of losers, the NBA's got a problem on their hand now. Uh, With the exception of when the L.A. teams are playing, national ratings, local ratings, we don't know. Like, New Orleans is going to be way up. Memphis is going to be way up. Nationally, though, outside of 
the L.A. team's ratings are down because they have spent the last two years propping up free agency and now just LeBron and Kawhi and not talking about anybody else. So when TNT, for example, has their big night and there's no LeBron and no Kawhi, nobody's tuning in to watch because they don't even know that these teams exist because all it is is free agency, who's moving where, and also Los Angeles. And so they got a problem on their hands now because even though the local ratings are up in some places, nationally not doing so hot unless it's the Lakers or the Clippers. Hmm. That's a self-created problem on their part. It'll be fine when it gets to the playoffs once you get to the second round, right? Well, unless the Lakers lose in the first round. <laughs> you better hope it's a one and two seed. And they may recover, especially when football ends, but early returns are not good. And on that same text from uh, the guy that said Paul George, this has been a fascinating trend in the NFL because he said the Lions are losers. What's up with going for two when you score a touchdown to make yourself down by eight? And a lot of NFL teams are doing this now. The numbers actually say if you are down by 14 points and you score a touchdown, you should go for two. Because, especially with where the extra point is, but because you have basically a 50-50 shot at getting a two-point conversion in the NFL. That's what the numbers say. You make one out of every two. And so if you make that first one and you score another touchdown, an extra point wins the game. So analytics are saying if you're down 14 and you score a touchdown, you should go for two because the likelihood of you getting one of those two, it's a 50-50 shot. So teams are going for two now when down 14 and they score a touchdown because analytics say it gives them a better chance at winning the game. There you go. Uh, Winner on the C Spire text line, the veteran who sang the national anthem at the Ole Miss game on Saturday night. That is retired Navy Petty Officer First Class, Janerald Wilson. Two or three years in a row, or Two or three out of the last four or five years, he has sung the national anthem prior to uh, an Ole Miss game. Uh, I think that's what he does in retirement. He goes around singing, wears his uh, naval uniform, goosebumps. If you don't get him, you, you probably don't have a pulse when that guy sings. Oh, it was incredible. And even when you know like the big finish is coming, he still gets you. Uh, winner, everyone uh, who has been part of the Giant Bomb Extra Life team. A lot of money raised for children's hospitals. Uh, not sure what that exactly is, but good for you. Loser, anyone defending Miles Garrett's actions? Okay. I don't think anyone actually is. I think that's probably pretty indicative of where we've come with sports talk television. Because it's just acting, so you have to have two sides to everything, no matter how egregious it is. Yeah, Max Kellerman went the whole. He doesn't don't don't that. start no crap if you don't get or if you don't want no crap. Basically, he, he doesn't believe that. There's no way he believes that. So he was ba- he was saying that Mason Rudolph brought that on himself and he deserved it. Like you, you don't you don't believe that. It's the same reason when they put LeVar Ball and Stephen A. Smith in this, within the same camera frame and just let them argue. Like neither one of them believes anything they're saying. It's just theater. 
Greg and Nettleton says they may have lost the game at winners in my book. P.J. Fleck and the Gophers, they fought to the very end. Love that guy and love that team. Josh Winter, Dawson Knox got a touchdown yesterday and officially doubled his collegiate touchdown numbers in his rookie NFL season. Not to mention his brother Luke Knox got a tipped ball and they touched the ball the same amount of times in the two LSU games the last two years. So, file that one away. <laughs> If he intercepts that ball, by the way, he might go to the house. And probably has more yardage than Knox. Uh, loser, Colin Kaepernick. Winner, Kelso in Ocean Springs, says James Madison, JMU. Back to the Kaepernick thing. I mean, I don't think the whole workout went exactly the way it was planned, or maybe it went exactly the way the Kaepernick people wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. Different way of looking at it. You might say winner because he had kind of fallen out of the mainstream media and all of a sudden everybody's talking about him again. But it's short term. It's be over in a month. Yeah. I don't even know if it'll take a month to go away this time. A couple weeks. Boy, what a what a freak show that was on Saturday. But at least like you know he doesn't want to play football now. Like if he had actually wanted to play football, he would have gone through the workout and, you know, actually shown stuff and Instead of just doing kind of an arm clinic at a high school football field. Yeah, and then just coming out. I mean, he did that whole thing to have do that 90-second statement at the end, basically. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll get some into the Ole Miss-LSU game from Saturday night when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Let's dive in and look a little at the uh, the Ole Miss LSU game from Saturday night. Ole Miss had 600 yards of total offense, which uh, over 600 yards of total offense, which certainly has had people talking some. But it was a three touchdown loss, and the Rebels' defense gave up over 700 yards of total offense in the game. Uh, Joe Burrow for LSU, absolutely as good as advertised, though maybe not his best game. 32 of 42, 489 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions in a single game for the first time all season long. When you watch him closely, if you're an LSU fan, you probably watched him closely. If you're just a, a casual fan, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. His pocket presence, his footwork, his awareness of what's going on around him, his athleticism, think all of those things are undervalued. And plenty of talk about his arm. He's got arm strength for days, throws with a great deal of accuracy, all of the numbers back it up. I mean, the throw that he made where he was rolling to his right and lets it fly down the sidelines about 50 yards in the air on the run and hits a receiver in stride its five-yard line, can't be done at any level better than that. Just can't be done. He's fantastic. What did you think of, of Burrow seeing him, Rippy? He was really good in the first half. Had a couple of mistakes in the second half. But I mean, what, he was 22-24 for 319 and three touchdowns in the first half? At one time, 17 consecutive completions. That was an LSU school record. Yeah, I mean, he was really good. That whole offense is really just kind of machine-like. They just... I mean, you don't even, it didn't even really seem like they were clicking on all cylinders and just kind of methodically moved it up the field without much, I don't mean to say how much resistance is like indicting the Ole Miss defense, but it just seems easy, even when they're not playing as well. I, I think that's what this offense is, though. 
Borky, have you watched them enough this year, you know, outside of the game against Ole Miss the other night to kind of, I mean, kind of what you expected, right? Pretty much, yeah. And what's crazy is, uh, I even put this on Twitter, I, I think Mike McIntyre had a pretty good plan going into the game. It's just LSU in their Jimmys and Joes are just that much better than most everybody they play, but especially Ole Miss's secondary. I mean, they they mixed up blitzes and they forced them out of the pocket, even into a couple of mistakes. They're just that good. And Auburn's really the only team that has slowed them down, and Auburn's got the best defense in the SEC. And even then, LSU kind of shot themselves in the foot early in that game that set the tone. And uh, Yeah, they're that good, and they'll do that to everybody. There's not a defense in the country that can stop LSU's offense. LSU was going to win the game, but there was a moment where you had a chance for it to get interesting. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss's offensive prowess in the second half aside. On the third down play where Ole Miss brought the house, and I can't I think this was maybe 10 minutes or so to go in the game, 9 or 10 minutes to go, brought the house, a little bit of pressure, Burrow dumps it across the middle to Jamar Chase, and there's nobody there beyond the one player that's covering him. I think maybe it was Kedron Smith. If it wasn't, tries to wrap him up, guy gets away, goes 60 yards to the house, and at that point, you extend it back out. If he tackles him on the spot there, it's fourth down and LSU has to punt, and Ole Miss gets the ball back with a chance to get it to a one-score game. Obviously, that turns out not to be the case. You know the moment I'm talking about? I actually think I was walking down to the field as this happened. Okay. But... Borky, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Right. I don't know what would have happened there. Again, LSU was going to win the game. There weren't enough answers. I mean, even after Ole Miss scores on its next possession, then LSU just turns around, hands it off, and um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire goes untouched 49 yards on a one-play drive or two-play drive or whatever it was to push the lead back out to that final margin of of 58-37. What do you take away from this game? I mean, Saturday showed the direction that Mike Mac, excuse me, Rich Rodriguez and Matt Luke have chosen to go in. Like, I guess that showed the positive sides of it, but the same real questions as to whether it's sustainable. I still think Loom to some degree. Borky, it showed that all Ole Miss needs to do if if they're going to continue on this route is just have some kind of vertical threat. They don't need to be perfect. Plumlee does not need to be some. 35 passes a game, 300-yard-a-game type quarterback. But if you can add any vertical threat whatsoever into that offense, his athleticism is unreal. I mean, angles from an LSU team that has NFL players and blue-chip prospects all over the field that had angles on this kid, and he still burnt them. That athleticism is unreal, and if you can just find a way to add a vertical threat, that offense becomes for real. I was intrigued by some of the post-game comments from LSU players. And this was not intended in a, a derogatory way. You had some of the defensive players who were really frustrated after the game for LSU. And there was a quote in Brody Miller's story at The Athletic kind of wrapping up the game where they said, Ole Miss didn't do anything we didn't expect. That They did what they do offensively. We practiced it. 
We just didn't make the plays. And they talked about bad fits and bad angles and being in the wrong place and all those things. But that was John Rice Plumley making plays. Ely, too. I mean, Jerrion Ely had a really good game. 13 it, carries for first, 141 yards. First career 100-yard game. And they used him on the edges, and that really spread out LSU's defense, which allowed that inside quarterback run game to work so well. LSU couldn't stack the box because they were having such success with getting Ely to the edge that the middle of the field was open and a little misdirection and the safety would come down and bite on like that fake reverse where Mm -hmm. I forget what you call it, but it was a fake reverse where Plumlee scored a touchdown. The safety bit on the reverse and there's nobody else in the box. And that's how they were able to have such success up the middle because LSU wasn't stacking the box because of how they got Ely on the edge early in the game. Even though they didn't score, Ole Miss had some success moving the football early because Ely got more touches. In an ideal world, I think you'll flip their carry number is give Ely 21 and Plumlee 13 just to take fewer hits off your quarterback. And Ely's dynamic in space as well. Um. Snoop Connor had eight carries for 45 yards. Elijah Moore, nine catches for 143 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown catch was pretty remarkable. I was surprised he was able to keep his feet to catch the ball, and then he's able to get his balance and then just basically plant and go back at a different angle and run away from everybody. How impressed, Rippy, should we be with Elijah Moore, given that he is the only target in the passing game to put up any kind of numbers of any significance on the entire season, and yet he's still doing it at a high level. Yeah, he's really good, and you saw this from the spring game on as there's a candidate for kind of a breakout season or breakout performance. It was him, and he's been as good as advertised in a passing game that has not. How does the passing game get better? An offseason I mean, with a quarterback specialist? John Rice Plumley's going to play baseball. The, the answers in the press conference today were interesting to me, though, because Matt Luke said he, you know, he hadn't talked to Mike Bianco yet, but now that Plumlee's the guy, he's going to have to. But he also said he expects him in the spring. Now, if you're Mike Bianco and this kid is playing baseball for you, do you really want him going to football practice in the afternoon when you're playing LSU in baseball the next night? You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's a without having talked to the baseball coach thinking that you expect your quarterback to be at spring practice, that's interesting to me because do you think Bianco goes for that? Yes. You think so? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. that makes it a little bit easier. And, and I say that because you you have situations where schools have two sport guys. It doesn't happen a ton. LSU's had it a few times. Obviously, Oklahoma had it with Kyler Murray a few years ago where he was playing center field and hitting, I don't know, lead off or second in the order and also went through the full spring football load. I I think that absolutely Plumlee will go through spring football. He may miss a practice or two, but, I mean, as I understand it, John Rice Plumlee is very much committed to playing baseball. But he's on a football scholarship. He's also now the starting quarterback, which is not something that anybody expected, you know, five months ago. My, if you're, I, I said this yesterday, and I want to see if you guys agree with this. If you're Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez, 
You do what the kid wants. Like, you respect his wishes. If he really wants to play baseball, you let him play baseball. But don't you try to convince him not to? Because your job at the end of the day is to win football games, and the best way to win football games (laughs) is to have your starting quarterback not playing baseball this spring, right? And you respect his wishes. He he should do what he wants, but shouldn't you try to convince him to spend this offseason, the next six months, working on being a quarterback? I mean, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. But if he chose your school based on the opportunity to do both, to get a shot to play quarterback and to play baseball... Do you yank that away from him or try to yank that away from him just because he excelled at the first thing that he tried? Well, you coax him to do it himself. Sports Talk Mississippi, Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad. Slips out a little early on Monday afternoons. Good to be with you this afternoon, Richard. uh, I just told you who we were. Um, what do we got, Borky? We need to do a Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Yeah, I guess we do. Uh, are you feeling feisty? What would feisty be? I mean, how good do you feel about this game tonight? You could call it spicy since it's in Mexico. Kansas City. The L.A. Chargers. KC, a five-point favorite in Mexico City. Thoughts? Kansas City will have a five-point lead. Phillip Rivers will have the ball with two minutes and 25 seconds left. He'll get him across the 50 and, and throw an interception. <laughs> uh, Kansas City trying to kind of get it going again. They've lost three of their last five, two of the last three. Lost to the Packers, beat the Vikings with Matt Moore, lost to the Titans. We're laying the five tonight in Mexico City. Kansas City minus the five against the L.A. Chargers to pick up their seventh win of the year and stay stay in first place or get into first place all by themselves in the AFC West. You on board with that, Rippy? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Laying the five tonight. KC, that is your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Brought to you by Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge. We will be back there one week from today. Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge is the Golden Moon in Philadelphia. Kicking off Egg Bowl Week. Look forward to being there for uh, for that. That is your Pearl River Resort pick of the day. Um, Some more thoughts Anything else stand out for you guys from Ole Miss and LSU on Saturday night? Defensively just overwhelmed? Yeah. And and then maybe a follow-up question. How big did you view the Benito Jones injury? It doesn't play the entire second half after a head injury um, into the concussion protocol and is that all it is, just concussion, he'll be back in two weeks? Yeah. Significant, but they were moving her no matter who was out there. How about the way the Ole Miss offensive line has kind of grown from game one to where they are now? Jack Bignell Jr. is a good coach. Yes, he is. They were a disaster the first week, and I'm not even sure how much of that is necessarily on him, just as 
It's a bunch of dudes that didn't play much football going into the year. Yeah, and they haven't really, I mean, you haven't really heard them blamed as a problem in what? Really since. I mean. Yeah, I mean, there have been moments. Yeah. But 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 it hasn't been okay. That's the area that stands out. Now some of what they have done from a play calling standpoint, Ole Miss's offensive line has not given up a sack in the last three games. Part of that's probably due to the fact that yeah. they're not really throwing the football. But still, it's it's well, clear no, that they're but better. But but they're throwing it twenty five times a game. Sure, I mean, but you, they're rollout. They're every not. single thing is a rollout. Yeah, almost. What do they get? Five to seven straight dropbacks a game. I mean, with Pumley in there, maybe fewer than that. Looking at it from the other side, you asked about takeaways from the game. Does this change your view of LSU? Because I kept thinking watching this game, look, Plumley's dynamic. They will not see a quarterback with the foot speed like that until next year when they play Ole Miss again. Uh, Ely's very good. But I kept thinking... Man, if Ole Miss is having this kind of success against that defense, Ohio State is going to have a freaking field day if they meet in the playoff. And they're not going to give up 58 points either. Uh, noted Twitter guy Rebistotl wants to know why Borky is giving a pass to the wide receivers. Who is the vertical threat that John Rice Pullman is supposed to be throwing to? I mean, this he was all over my mentions on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, Plumlee's perfect. He didn't have to improve at all. Just the wide receivers. Go with that. I wonder if Rebistotl's the name on his birth certificate. Um, but I mean, it, it's a two-way. It, it, it is street. fair that that there's blame to go around. And we talked about the offensive line getting better. Better. You don't have the ability to sit back there in the pocket. Oh, and even they they moved the ball better on Saturday. This this scheme really does does him no favors with regards to completing passes and being better in the passing game. It's not just on Pumley. No. But I don't think we've ever said that either. No, no but receivers have not they've not gotten separation. Agreed? I mean, outside of Elijah Moore, you don't really have guys that are able to get open. Yeah. But you saw it on the interception where there's distance needed to go throwing the football for your quarterback. But no, yeah, I'm just I mean, giving a pass to the receivers. I'd you know, I don't know anything. Just an underthrow there, hey, period. Sports Talk Mississippi, two hours in the books, 5 o'clock hour coming up. College football fix when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, Monday afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. If you've got land financing needs, you're looking to build a dream house, maybe you're going to buy a piece of property, a recreational piece of property, so you can hunt or fish or just get away, or maybe you're a farmer with equipment needs or time to refinance an existing loan or buy a new piece of property or get your production loan. Mississippi Land Bank can help with all of those things if you are in North Mississippi. They service the northern 32 counties in the state. You can find their website online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Right now, it's time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. 
You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. So the the John Rice Plumley conversation is one that Borky you say is polarizing. Yeah, is that the right way to describe it. I, I think so. Um, quite divided. I mean, there's no in between. It's either you think that he's the second coming of Archie and Eli Manning combined into each other and reincarnated, even though they're both still living, or he's the worst thing ever and should be on the sidelines or playing slot receiver. And there's very little in between or room for nuance. Do people really think the first part? I mean, is that not a little hyperbolic? I mean, don't most people look at him and go, okay, he's got to get better in the passing game? You would think so, but my Twitter mentions would tell you otherwise. Okay. But that's just idiots online. You know, that's not reality. I'm sure most people do understand that. I had a few callers yesterday that all said the same thing. Basically, I love the kid, but yeah, you know, there's a there's a ceiling until the pass game gets better. And that includes getting wide receivers that can create separation and make plays downfield as well. There was another big drop. Well, I guess you can call it big. It was early in the game that would have led to a touchdown. Wasn't the best thrown ball, but it was one that should have been caught, at least would have been first and goal. Instead, they have to settle for a field goal in which uh, they missed. So it's an all-encompassing thing, but it's it's a polarizing situation. For the people that are on the side of the fence of, you know what, you just need to make him a slot receiver. There's no way. I mean, could he be a big-time contributor to the offense at another position? Sure. But there's no way to get the same number of production, or the same amount of production, the same type of production from a guy playing in the slot. Is there? No. I mean, if he's going to end up playing the slot, it'll be in the NFL. Uh, he can play college quarterback, and he is just a freshman, a true freshman, who came into the system late as well. So it's not like he graduated early, went through spring practice. I mean, he's a, a true, true freshman. So there's plenty of room to grow. It's just, um, it's got to happen. Well, sure it does, but, I mean, with a few exceptions, don't more, most quarterbacks grow? That, that commit to working on it and get more comfortable in a scheme or a, an offense and you said the go key through phrase. a conditioning program and all of those things? And this is this will be taken this way because, of course, it will. Um, the, the committed to improving thing. Not that he's not committed, but how much does baseball – limit your ability to fully commit to becoming an improved quarterback. And you can still do both, and you can still improve while also playing baseball. Those things both can happen. I just wonder um, if in a perfect world, baseball wouldn't be a thing. Well, I mean, maybe in a perfect world if your only concern is is football. I mean, so we were talking about this earlier. I mean, Matt Luke, Rich Rodriguez, are they trying to convince John Rice Plumley, hey, football is where your future is, and you're going to have to focus on football exclusively if you want to be a quarterback? And 
I had this conversation. I was really active. My, my kids slept really well Saturday night. So I got to engage with people on social media, and I got a lot of response of, well, you're more likely to go pro and get big money in baseball than you are football because he's not a prototypical quarterback. And my response would be two things. One, it's very easy in professional baseball to get buried in the minors for life and not make a dime. And two, even though he is behind Kyler Murray as far as arm talent, Kyler Murray has a a strong, accurate arm. He's very talented. Twice now, you have seen franchises take a run-first quarterback in Lamar Jackson originally, even though he's got some arm talent himself, and then five foot ten Kyler Murray. So the league potentially is shifting to where a guy with that kind of skill set and even that size can be successful. It's possible that he can develop and become an NFL quarterback, and all you need is to get drafted once. The baseball thing, there's layers to it if that's where the decision lies, and I have no idea if that's where the decision lies. Well, See, to me, here's the thing on the discussion about John Rice Plumley. Nobody expected him to be the starting quarterback for Ole Miss this year. No. It was expected Matt Corral was going to be the quarterback, and frankly, most expected Grant Tisdale to be the backup. That obviously didn't happen. Grant Tisdale has entered the transfer portal, and John Rice Plumley has won the starting job at quarterback. And so the dynamic has changed. But before you start talking about giving up one sport or the other, when the promise you made to the kid from a recruiting standpoint is, yes, you can play both sports, and yes, we will give you a shot at quarterback, which ultimately is the reason that he came to Ole Miss and didn't go to Georgia or LSU. I mean, Georgia brought another quarterback in, and they kind of changed the conversation a little bit. And would they have changed their offense for him? Ole Miss is changing its offense and identity for him. Well, I don't know if Ole Miss is changing its offense or Ole Miss changed its offense and he was the quarterback that fit what the change they went to was. Yeah, that's probably... I mean, as opposed to they changed it for him... They changed it, and then he was the one that fit it the best. Yeah, that's that's much better said. With, with, with what Rich Rodriguez wants to do. I guess here's where I was going with this, ultimately. If the promise that you made to him in recruiting was, yes, you can play both, and yes, you'll give it, get a shot at quarterback. He's obviously gotten the shot at quarterback and has won the job. Now don't you let him go play baseball and see how his freshman year goes in baseball. I mean, if you remember Seth Smith who turned out to be an All-American baseball player, all-conference player in the SEC, and played about a dozen years in the big leagues, he came to Ole Miss planning to play both. Well, there was a guy named Eli Manning in front of him, and he decided this baseball thing's going to work after he hit 400 as a freshman in baseball. And he gave up football, and he stuck with baseball the rest of the way. What's to say that John Rice Plumley doesn't go out and have a great time playing baseball this spring, but he hits... 230 and plays 30 games and goes, you know what? My best chance going forward is football. And then he makes that decision. It's a really good point. And so it's a a win in all sides. Where I'm coming from on this is just where I see potential and where Ole Miss can win football games. That's all. I'm not looking at this through the eyes of of John Rice Plumley, which is probably not the right thing to do. I'm looking at this through almost as a really difficult start to their schedule next season, but some weird dynamics with 
you know, maybe Matt Rule leaves Baylor and stuff like that where there's a chance. And they've been in these games this year, too. They just haven't gotten over the hump in winning them. There is so much potential for this kid to be an elite-level type quarterback if he just improves throwing the football. He doesn't have to be perfect. If he can just get it to where it's effective and keeps defenses honest, that running ability that you saw on Saturday night is at that position in college football. Is there anybody that you can compare it to that currently plays college football? Khalil Tate a couple of years ago at Arizona? Yeah. Didn't really sustain it. That's where I'm coming from is just, man, if if he just got a the, little the bit other, better in the passing game, they are winning football games next season if that if that happens. So, so I played out a scenario where baseball doesn't go well. What if baseball does go well? What if he goes out and ends up batting leadoff and playing in the outfield and he hits 340 and steals 25 bases? Well, at that point, does he go... I don't want to take the beating that football gives. Or maybe he says, and this kind of flies in the face of everybody who's got an opinion on this, you know what? I like them both, and I'm good enough to play both of them. And y'all are welcome to do what you want with your life, but this is my college career, and I'm going to try and do both. We'll see. That's your college football fix driven by Ford. Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey on this Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. I have not gone through and done the math yet. There, there have been some people that have thrown the whole if Ole Miss were to win the Egg Bowl and get to 5-7 and seven on the year, what about the possibility of making a bowl game based on APR as a 5 and 17? Currently, you have 64 teams that are bowl eligible, six wins or better. You have 14 teams currently that are within one win of bowl eligibility. So we're sitting on five right now. There are a total of 78 slots available for bowl teams. Um, you start looking at APR ranks. So, so, Borky, I guess the questions that you have to ask are, okay, of those 13 teams, are all of them going to reach bowl eligibility? Probably not all of them. Maybe most of them, and eh, we'll see. So you got to figure out whether or not those teams are going to get to bowl eligibility, whether those teams are going to finish at five wins, and then you got to look at APR. And Ole Miss is currently tied for 38th in APR this year, but you got to go through and eliminate the teams that have no shot at getting to a bowl game and the teams that are already bowl eligible. And it becomes a pretty small number at that point. 
I have not gone through and done all of the this team is for sure in or this team is for sure out. There's an outside shot there. And for the crowd that goes, well, nobody deserves to go with five wins. Bud and Jackson says five and seven Ole Miss or MSU will not happen even with a strong APR. But I'm I'm not sure exactly why you say that. He might be thinking there will be enough six and six teams. That's possible. That did happen to Southern Miss last year, but on the flip side, Mississippi State recently went to a bowl game at five and seven. So right, right, went and played in um, St. Petersburg. What on like December twenty sixth, I think it was against Miami of Ohio, something like that. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see where this all falls out. And again, I don't know that it's really worth doing the full breakdown in math at this point to figure out if you're going to get there or not. Um, it's not a scenario, though, where if there is only one slot available and they go to APR, Ole Miss is going to be the number one APR team. Is there a place where we can find APR scores, or is that just more... I. I... I have them pulled up and kind of working through a spreadsheet with them. Ah, that sounds fun. Yeah. But, I mean, again, when you you start looking at the teams that are in the APR, and I don't know everybody's record off the top of my head. Um, I mean, Clemson, obviously you delete them because it doesn't matter. Uh, Navy is a team that's bowl eligible. Washington's a team that's bowl eligible. Those are teams that are above Ole Miss in the APR, but it doesn't matter because they are already bowl eligible. Uh, and there are a bunch of those, so that will certainly make the pool of teams smaller that could even potentially need that. And then you got a team like Rice, who is winless on the year. Obviously, they're not going to fill out one of the spots based on APR if they've only got you know two wins on the year when it's all said and done. Didn't they so, get one Saturday? I think they might have. Rice finally got one? I think they got one. I think it was against Middle Tennessee. It's a bad loss for Middle Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Yeah, they did. 31-28 the final. Mm. So Aston middle... Walter ran for 106 yards in the win. You're, you're diving deep on that. <laughs> so now Middle Tennessee sits at 3-7 and seven with two games remaining. Best they can do is get to 5. Uh, but, but again, that's kind of what I'm talking about because when you look at the APR scores, if Middle Tennessee were to win their last two games... And then you go to the APR, you got Middle Tennessee at, oh, I saw him a second ago, 22 in the APR. <laughs> this is going to be ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, long uh, I mean, people will roll their eyes at it, um, glass houses and stuff, but those extra, what, 15, 15 practices, practices would be massive, especially for a guy like who we've been talking about, John Rice Plumley. I mean, there's no question if you have the opportunity, you take it, right? Oh, absolutely. Especially given the odyssey that Ole Miss football has been on in recent years. So, um, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. You can text the show on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Um, some thoughts on... Uh, John Rice Plumley. this was injury from playing baseball, and you could fool me. Not sure exactly. I mean, obviously injury is a part of this as well. 
Well, here's here's how it went. So he texted us and said, bless y'all's heart if this is all you're worried about. So I replied and said, what would you like us to worry about? He said, injury in baseball and beating Mississippi State. One, we don't play on any team. And two, we did actually talk about the element of if you're Matt Luke and Rich Rodriguez, are you worried about your quarterback and vice versa? If you're Mike Bianco, are you worried about your outfielder getting hurt in football practice? We We went over that. Some of what else happened in college football this weekend. Georgia led 21 to nothing in the fourth quarter. Auburn made it interesting. 21 to 14 was the final after a couple of fourth quarter scores for the Auburn Tigers. Uh, big sack by Georgia on the final drive of the game for Auburn. Turns it over on downs and Georgia holds on to win 21 14. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Georgia covered and, uh, Gus rumors are back. And I mean, it's just, I mean, if you're Gus Malzahn, I don't think he's paying any attention to this. He kind of locks himself into a football cave, and he is all football all the time. But I would imagine if you're somebody that's close to Gus Malzahn, it's got to be weary, right? After every single loss that comes along, oh, what are they going to do? What are they going to do now? It would make me want to go to Arkansas. Me too. Would it? More appreciated. But it's not as good a job. No, it's not. But there's a stability factor because, I mean, all this crap that comes up, it doesn't seem rooted in reality, but they really did try to fire him last year. Now lose the last two games of the year, and if you lose to Alabama, that's backup Mac Jones beating you, and you're all at an 8-4 and four again. People are going to try to fire him again. Even if he comes back, that seed is still hot. You can go to Arkansas, get a six-year deal, with low expectations, and not have to deal with this crap for a while. Yeah. The the takes were flaming in Starkville when Tua went out with the injury. Uh, there were a lot of people, oh, he doesn't, he shouldn't have been in the football game at this time. There was no reason to be in the game. Uh, I thought some of Aaron Suttles from the Athletics reporting was pretty good, where he said, look, Alabama gave Tua the opportunity to not play, and he wanted to play. He was healthy enough. In consideration with his family, they decided they wanted to play. Well, but why'd you have him in the game up, you know, thirty-eight to seven or thirty-five to seven at the time? Because he's your starting quarterback, and it's still the first half of an SEC game. Injuries happen. I mean, if he had played against Mississippi State and they won, would you have played him against Western Carolina, assuming he's completely healthy? Run him out there for the first half of that game? Can get hurt then. It's a physical game. And the crazy thing to me, and maybe you guys saw something different in watching the play. There was nothing out of the ordinary about that play. It wasn't a dirty hit. It wasn't something where you had a defender, you know, leading with the crown of the helmet into the hip socket. He just got tackled as he threw the ball away. He came down funny on it, and he's got a dislocated hip. There were comparisons to Bo Jackson and that injury and the fact that he was never the same. Alabama released a statement, and I I thought this was interesting. They didn't know as much when Bo Jackson had his injury, and he continued to try to play through the injury and worsened it. They immediately... Airlifted 
Tua to what, Birmingham and then had surgery in Houston today, I believe it was. And they think he's going to make a full recovery because they handled it the right way. A- am I wrong on this? No. I didn't have a problem with him being in. It's easy to say now that he shouldn't have been in the game. But if I was he just throw- surprised he played. I was more surprised he played, period, than being in there. Like, that was more surprising to me. I don't really have a strong opinion either way, but I, that was surprising to me. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. We'll look at the rest of the SEC in the top 25 when we come back. Generals gathered in their Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey. All right, I said it was a waste of time to do this, but now I'm intrigued in it. So let's play with the whole APR thing. So again, currently you've got 63 of the 78 spots filled for bowl games. You have 13 teams out of a possible 14 to fill those last 14 spots who currently have five wins. So they're one win away. And then you start looking at APR of teams who could get to five wins. Um, Cal, who is directly, well, they're, they're 33, so they're in front of Ole Miss. They're sitting on five wins right now, so they already occupy one of those spots. Arizona State already occupies one of those spots at five wins. Um, the, the teams that Ole Miss, if you're thinking about five and seven and getting to a bowl game based on your APR, the teams that Ole Miss has to watch out for are these. Duke, Stanford, Middle Tennessee, Ohio, that's it. Those four. So Duke currently sitting at four wins. Stanford sitting at four wins with games remaining against Cal and Notre Dame. Middle Tennessee, what are they, Borky? Four and we talked about them a second ago. Yeah, they just lost to Rice. They dropped to three and seven, so they've got to win the last two. Well, but if they won the last two and got to five, they would still be in front of Ole Miss in terms right. of APR. Where does Mississippi State fall here? Are they are they not not possible? Uh, so Mississippi State currently, in terms of APR, is forty third, tied for forty third anyway. But looking at the teams around them, really not a lot separating where Mississippi State and Ole Miss are because Baylor's already a bowl team. Army, I don't think, is at this point. Nebraska is not. Iowa State is. Kent State, I think they're way off the radar. So if you had a couple of slots available, theoretically, if everything fell just right, We could have two five and seven Mississippi schools playing in bowl games. That'd be great. <sighs> Who is yeah. that game more important for? I mean, I guess this is probably a question for down the road. We'll talk about it again, but just off the top of your head, since that's 
the last meaningful game remaining for both of them, who needs it more? The Egg Bowl? Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, see, I thought you were asking a different way. I thought you were going to ask who would a bowl game mean more to. I think a bowl game would mean more to Ole Miss than it would to Mississippi State. I mean, that, really the only thing a bowl game would accomplish this year for Mississippi State would be keeping the bowl streak alive. But for Ole Miss, when it's you know 2016, coming off the 2015 season, the last time you played in a bowl game, I think getting to one would mean more. Am I crazy for thinking that in the big picture scope of things, it probably means more for Joe Moorhead and Mississippi State? Because that would get them to six wins. It would get them to a bowl game. It does. And kind of given all the noise that's around, I mean, both programs have got noise around them. But I think given the noise surrounding Joe Moorhead and the kind of discontent that's there, I think it would be Mississippi State. What do you think? Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. More important. Who's the Egg Bowl more important for, State or Ole Miss? Gavin and Starkville says State, no question. C Spire text line, any updates on what happened with Mike Smith at Ole Miss? That's the Ole Miss softball coach who has been placed on administrative leave, I think was the wording, for an an athletics department, they're calling it an audit, but an investigation. And that's really all they've said so far. So, see where that goes. Mississippi State got a big basketball win yesterday. Not big in terms of who they played, but big in terms of, I guess, how they played. Monster day for Robert Woodard. He had a really, really strong double-double. Um, as the Bulldogs got to 4-0 and on the year with the win yesterday against New Orleans. 82-59 was the final. We mentioned this just kind of in passing earlier today with uh, with Haydad. Robert Woodard in 31 minutes goes for 21-16. and Six offensive rebounds, ten defensive rebounds, four assists, two blocks, three steals, turned it over only one time. That is a stat line. Reggie Perry was one rebound away from a double-double, had 14 points and nine rebounds. Iverson Molinar, 10 points in the game, three assists, turned it over a couple of times. Tyson Carter had nine points. Also, D.J. Stewart off the bench, nine points for Mississippi State as they, uh, again, get to 4-0 on the year. And now Mississippi State gets ready to head to Myrtle Beach. They will play Tulane on Thursday and then on Friday, we'll play either Villanova or Middle Tennessee. So wins to start the year. FIU, no trouble. That relatively close game. Big come-from-behind win against Sam Houston State. And then a couple of wins Thursday and Sunday last week against ULM in New Orleans. 
and the Myrtle Beach Invitational coming up this uh, this weekend, this coming weekend in uh, Conway, South Carolina. What about Ole Miss basketball on um, Friday night? Rebels got the win, and probably the best production they've had out of their post players so far. Yeah, and Luis Rodriguez played pretty well, probably his best game of the season, too. And then you had a more efficient game from Bree and Tyree. Slow start offensively, but really just kind of took control after that. So Ole Miss off to a 3-0 and start in hoops. They beat Arkansas State to start the year, beat Norfolk State, and then knocked off Western Michigan. Next game for them tomorrow night against Seattle. And then on Saturday at noon, we'll play the Memphis Tigers at FedEx Forum, and the question that everybody wants to know the answer, James Wiseman, yes or no? Wouldn't you think no? I would think no. Had somebody tell me over the weekend that Memphis thinks that they've brokered some sort of a deal and that maybe he's going to be eligible, but... That would be wild. Wouldn't it? But, I mean, LSU just had a five-star commit today, so... Maybe the NCAA's kind of lost their teeth in hoops. I don't know. Price of poker goes up after tomorrow night's game against uh, Seattle. It's a uh, a four-game stretch after the Seattle game that includes a road trip to Memphis, a Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving Day game against Penn State at uh, Barclays Center in New York, Brooklyn if you prefer. They will then play either Oklahoma State or Syracuse, Oklahoma State, a little bit improved this year. Syracuse, eh, we'll see. They scored like a uh, 100-year low in their season opener against Virginia. Pretty good Virginia team, but nevertheless. And then uh, Butler on uh, Tuesday, December 3rd. It's a pretty cool non-conference game. A year ago, Ole Miss went to Butler, played at Hinkle, and uh, lost that game. That was before Thanksgiving this year. They get them uh, back at the Pavilion. So that's kind of what's coming up on the uh, on the basketball front for both Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Florida beat Missouri this weekend, twenty three to six. Just a very kind of a boring game to watch, right? First home loss of the year for Missouri. Kyle Trask, couple of touchdown passes in the game. Is this a quiet nine and two for Florida? Yeah, it, what's their best win? Auburn? That's right, they did beat Auburn. I mean, I think that's 24-13 win over Auburn. Got a win against Miami back all the way back in August. Turned out to be a pretty okay Miami team. Feels like an eternity ago. Yeah, it really does. It really does. South Carolina drops one in College Station, thirty to six. Just really not competitive in that game. And Kentucky gets to five and five with a thirty-eight fourteen win over Vanderbilt. Kentucky has games remaining against UTM, UT Martin, and Louisville. Two chances to get bowl eligible.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.